Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I have become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. We are continuing in a series that we are calling Normal People Problems, where we're tackling challenges that impact lots of people like nutrition, finances, home management, and parenting. But we're looking at the unique challenges faced by those on the front lines, along with unique tools to help you manage these areas a little easier. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by my very good friend and colleague, Karen Peters. Karen is a registered clinical counselor working in private practice at Thrive Life Counseling and Wellness right down the hall from me in Fort Langley, BC. She works in child and family therapy, specializing in offering parenting supports. She's a mom and the creator of many parenting resources, including the Parenting in the Trenches podcast, the Living Room Learning monthly e-newsletter, and programs on co-regulation, families supporting a child with anxiety, and so much more. Well, welcome, Karen. It's so good to have you here. I think, again, I feel like it's been a really long time, though. We had you on once before, maybe? Once before. And you hosted on my podcast. Right? I'm so so it was like, who was Where did we, we did both? What and when? Yes. <laughs> totally. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I know all about you, but our audience doesn't. So why don't we open up with that? Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what led you into your work doing counseling work with parents? Yeah. So, yeah, I have a um, background in supporting kids and families um, therapeutically, but in a number of different kind of like angles. So for the longest mm-hmm. time I worked for uh, Ministry for Children and Family Development, um, I did some like frontline stuff. So I was working directly with families for the first half of my career there. And then the second half, I was more in management and um, helping people kind of create systems of responsibility for improving services. So it was more accessing clients' opinions about how we were doing our work and then trying to construct meaningful change so that if we made changes in our system, it was going to serve clients well. Um, And so that was kind of that picture and then moved into uh, private practice after that. um, And I'm doing that full time now. Um, I've got two kids. So I have the actual parent lens too, not just working with parents, but I am one. And, um, and I have a a bit of a kind of like the flavor of parenting um, 
both my kids have special needs of some kind. So kind of like extra need support um, in very different ways. But uh, that puts me in a kind of a position of always trying to plan around that and advocate for services and do that kind of stuff. And so um, a lot of the parents that I do work with have that lived experience too. And so there's something that's quite, I I bring some relatability to the table for that because that's um, part of my world too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know you mentioned it really quickly that I had been on your podcast as well. And you have had a podcast called Parenting in the Trenches. And what I love about the language of that podcast is just this piece about like, we are in the trenches and we're kind of in it in isolation, but together, if we let ourselves be together in it. Yeah. Um, and I know that you have a lot of other resources that you've constructed around the kind of parent perspective journey, because it's, it's this never ending journey <laughs> once you're in it. Um, and I think that's really fantastically unique work. Like I think there's a lot of people who can find a child or family therapist, but to find someone who really anchors to the lens of the parent experience and supporting parents in the journey of what it looks like to help shape their children. That's a really cool piece. Yeah. And, you know, for me, that comes also from a lived experience um, perspective that what would, what drove me most batty in trying to find my own resources and support therapeutically was that it what didn't, the rubber didn't meet like hit the road in the way that I needed. And so when you are in in literally in those parenting trenches and you have no bandwidth for anything else, the last thing you feel like you have a lot of space for is very deep processing. What you need is the now and the like, how am I going to survive this piece? Right. And so, um, so, and I'm not big on offering things that I haven't experienced in a way that works. So like if, if I feel like I believe in it because I've experienced it working, that gives me a different kind of lens and passion for offering that to other parents because I'm not in the business of wasting people's resources. So it feels kind of like that's an important part of the work coming from that. If I've been there, I know what it feels like to kind of like skirt things and like, it just helps to have somebody else get it, be non-judgmental about it. And so I wanted to offer that, not just receive it. So yeah, I'm curious. um, I mean, you know that our audience is first responders and frontline workers. Mm -hmm. Have you done quite a lot of work with parents who are in that kind of demographic? And like, what's your link and connection to that group? Yeah. So I would say like when I started private practice, that was not the bulk of the work that I did. So um, still the bulk was family and parenting stuff, but it, the demographic of those people who come to see me has actually shifted in terms of their career backgrounds. And so mm-hmm. I'm seeing way more of it now. And I do think that that's the aftermath of COVID. I think that is mm-hmm. the, that's the climate we're in. That's the um, trajectory. That's kind of the shift that's happened naturally in our yeah. world. Um, so a lot of people are recognizing the burnout, recognizing the need for mental health services that they've held on like by fingernails already. Mm-hmm. And then this was way too much. Um, rightfully so this would break anybody so when you get to that place I think um the concentration reflects that like who I see kind of reflects what's happening in the world and um so I would say in the last two two and a half years 
I, I, if I were to chart the numbers, it would definitely be kind of like the inverse graph. Like mm. I saw maybe 10% and now I'm seeing like closer to yeah. 70% of the parents that I'm working with have that component to it. And it's an added yeah. struggle for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about that. The added struggle. Like what do you see as being uniquely challenging for first responders and frontline workers as it relates to parenting? Yeah. Okay. So I'm glad we're going right to the unique because I get, I think we feel pretty invalidated if we have a very unique experience of parenting. And then we talk the generics because the first thing that I tend to do as a parent is like, you don't get me. Like you don't get the nuances of that. So for me as an adoptive parent, if somebody doesn't have that lens to offer, I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but it's not the same. Right. (laughs) You don't know. Dive into like the unique pieces. Here's what, and I'm, I'm really just kind of echoing back I am, I'm, I don't do crisis work. So I am not what I would consider kind of in the same category of people doing that frontline first responders. Mm-hmm. So what I echo back is really the, the data that I get from the people that I work with and how they are echoing to me, here are the pieces nobody seems to get. This is what makes this experience unique. And one of the top on the list that feels actually, I think it's top on the list because nobody's come up with an effective solution. Hmm. (laughs) It it feels like there's an incompatibility between shift work Mm -hmm. and the way the rest of the world's rhythms work. Yeah. Right? So that's obvious. But then when we dive into like, so what does that mean when you're trying to parent kids who are embedded in all sorts of other systems that we want to promote. So what does regular school activity look like? Or rather, like, so much of what helps kids manage anxiety, we hear is routine and rhythm. Mm -hmm. What are we supposed to offer our kids when what we come with is a template of four on four off 12 hours at a time, more because we commute. Um, And then that does not jive with <coughs> the weekly library dates and the concerts and the swimming lesson schedule. Totally. And it just doesn't work. And so this never ending debate feels really stressful for parents because it's at odds with what they want to offer kids and feel like they're really being present for it. So there's this emotional desire to provide a thing for their kids that in the world and the rest of the system offer in a very five day on five day, whatever, seven day cycle. And that does not work when every eighth Wednesday (laughs) you, it happens to fall on your off day. Right. Yes. And so even for people with really strong villages, so grandparents in the picture, aunties and uncles, neighbors who help care for the kids, what they're present, um, kind of like what they're aware of is that they are not at the concert. Like I am, I'm the mom and I'm not there, or I'm the dad and I can't show up every Saturday for soccer practice or I'm, and that doesn't sit well. We, mm-hmm. we want both and yeah. shift work doesn't help us with that. Right. Totally. And I think the other piece of that that I hear a lot of is not just the rhythm of the four off, four on, but the length of the days, particularly Mm. for younger kids who are more dependent on you. They can go for full cycle, 24 hour periods without seeing a parent. Totally. 
And so I liken it to being separated or divorced, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you have a very clear on parent for four days and a very clear off parent, yes. right? Which is not yes. the typical kid's experience. So yeah. it feels different and challenging and mm-hmm. kids have to adjust every time. It's not as fluid. So yeah. if dad's rhythms with me are different than mom's or if I have two moms, what like what I don't experience both humans the same way. And if totally. one is leaving the system to go out for four days and the other ones, I have to make a massive adjustment in expectations, in mm. the way we connect, in yeah. what's offered, what their strengths are. Um, it's just, I, th- I think it's just a, it's just a challenge. You, yeah. you have to integrate that somehow and accept that that is kind of like part of it. And that's really tough. Totally. Hard. Yeah. I mean, it makes me like one of the, as, as a working parent who, uh, whose partner is a full-time stay at home parent, one of the running jokes we've had in our family for a really long time, um, is that I don't live at my house. I, I live here at the office. Mm-hmm. So when I come home and I'm like trying to make a decision, like I want to reorganize the pantry, my husband will be like, I'm sorry, you don't live here. Like you don't get to have a vote about this. This is my thing. Get out. This isn't your thing. Um, Right. Like my, my involvement is different. My involvement is differently limited. And I'm a like regular nine to not even five, like nine to three, Mm -hmm. nine to four. (laughs) I'm home more than most parents. And I'm still like, sorry, you don't live here. Yeah. Right. The identified so how much more parent. totally, but yeah. like not even for like, yes, there's from the, the child perspective, that adjustment. I also think from the parent perspective, mm-hmm. there's that adjustment of like, I go out to this system where I, I am a given way and I'm looked at a given way. I'm respected a given way. I'm thought of a given way. And then I reenter this system and I have to recalibrate to like, yes the noise and the demands and the way of being in this role. And I think that's probably hard on both sides, right? Like kids readjusting to who you are showing back up, but also me readjusting to who I am showing back up. Yeah. Yeah. I, that feels like, I mean, in a more glorified way, it kind of like when you go on vacation, if you only give yourself yes. a weekend away, you don't mm-hmm. actually have the time to fully immerse yourself in the thing that you have to adjust back out of. If yeah. you were to go away for the full week, your adjustment back is actually harder, even though you've had more time to rest because yeah. the contrast is greater. Right. And that's totally. who you are and the, the primary role you play and your headspace, yeah. like what mental space you're in. Totally. It's, it's a big, yeah, absolutely big adjustment. Mm. And I, I would say on that piece actually is the other thing that gets highlighted is the communication okay. between parents. So for couples who are in the situation, um, communicating with each other needs a system yeah. more so than most, because there needs to be embedded kind of mechanisms for like, are you couples that check in while you're barely seeing each other for those four right. days? Or are, do you have such a setup rhythm that like, you don't need that contact, but then what does it look like to transition back into a different four days? Yeah. Um, and that, you have to actually be expert communicator. 
Like that's almost like a job demand. If you are going to have family life incorporated into this type of work, that that is that much more important um, than a lot of other couples have to kind of grapple with. Because if you're not constantly overlapping, you don't have the micro moments of kind of figuring out your dance. You have like Mm -hmm. two dances and you just have to keep. That's (laughs) like... That's not an easy thing to communicate and pass batons back and forth and say, okay, I can mentally shift now. You're here. You're doing this. Right. I can let go of this. Right. That's not my job to step in. This is tough. And for kids, they ask for things. So like, Mm -hmm. you know how that is even developmentally, you take all of this out of the picture, but you're going to have like the, oh, daddy's girl phase, you know, where the, it's like the kid goes to the one parent, whether they're there or not, is like, Mm -hmm. go to, right? That I think is just amplified when there's a setup that insists that they're more dependent only on one parent for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then it can be really hard after, even if parents switch over really well and pass the baton. For the kids to adjust to that and go, right, I am now oriented primarily to that person. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard. It is hard. Yeah. I think one of the other unique challenges that I hear from um, first responders and frontline workers that I work with and just in life is this piece about how the like very clear awareness of how the world is not okay comes home right like you know I had that call today and the kid was the same age as my kid or I had that call today and it gave me this glimpse into the future of what happens when my kids are teenagers or Mm -hmm. right like how many clients and I mean to some extent how much do I feel this like will I ever let my kids go for sleepovers because of Mm -hmm. a different awareness of risks that we may have that our friends who are accountants may not have the same Mm -hmm. way that we have um, you know, like I, I know that we were very, very, um, cautious about letting our kids drive in other people's cars for like a really long time and still are probably more cautious than a lot of parents wow. about letting someone else pick up our kid and take them four blocks home from school because I don't know you and I don't know how you drive and I don't want my kid in your car. Um, you know, like it's, it just feels differently like here for people and for those listening and not watching the video, I'm holding my hand in front of my face. Uh, You know, like it just, it feels very differently close and present to us. And it makes some of the decision-making harder. It makes us weirder. Like I know I have weird days where I come home and my kids really don't want to be that close to me, but I'm like, I really just need snuggles to make me okay (laughs) today because there was some material that got brought up in my day today that makes me feel like I need to kind of treasure you and hold you a bit closer. Mm -hmm. And they're like, mom, you're being weird. Like, I know here's where we're at though. Right. And the limitations around not being able to like share that, Mm -hmm. but also feeling it and carrying it into how we're making choices and how we're shaping decisions and how we're interacting in different moments is really, yeah. really important. Well, and there's two pieces. I think there's two components of that. There's more the immediate, like you've had something happen in your day yeah. that is particularly like punched to the gut. or yeah. and, and your jobs are ripe for this. So mm-hmm. it's not that that necessarily happens infrequently, but they're, they feel more acute or like, I remember that day. Like that, yes. that was a day 
And I remember yeah. that incident because it hit just too close to home, right? Yeah. There's that, but there's also the slow burn mm-hmm. of being in a job that changes your worldview, which is yeah. kind of that piece that you're talking about. We make like more grandiose parenting decisions about like transportation in general with people yeah. who don't, haven't checked out their mm-hmm. driving history, right? So like that that isn't because one day I had this experience. That's more like the... Right over and over again, I see this dynamic. And so my nervous system has adapted to recognize that as a tangible high risk, like it, it's, it's a everyday risk. Mm-hmm. And I shape my vision of what I trust the world to offer my kid. And so, and you don't get to erase that. I think mm-hmm. that's where the work comes in, where we, we, recognize and own what's happening for us and really like the difference for kids is it here's the thing more globally I think for parents we've been raised as a in our culture to be parents who feel like they have to hide the experiences they have so I don't mean the content of but the the experience itself so if I'm Mm. if I'm thrown today and then I have to go climb back into the parenting mode my my first thought is protect my kids from feeling that I'm thrown, right? Yeah. So then my goal when I transition into that space is to, I'm fine. Yep, let's get, right. sure, we'll play Barbies. Right. Sure, fake we'll it. fake it. And mm-hmm. I'm increasingly aware of how much better it is for both parents and their kids' development to actually model what it looks like to own the experience or the feeling that's happening that feels like it's leaking and owning it doesn't just mean naming it it means I'm going to model what I do with it that it's still mine to take care of so I'm not burdening my kid by saying that I'm thrown I'm saying boy I'm thrown today and I don't have to share details about it but I can say but this is how it's sitting in my body and I'm gonna go take an extra five minutes because I really want to play well with you or I'm going to go. And when you, when you have the, the kind of map in your mind that this does your kids good, you don't feel guilty then about kind of sharing that piece, right? Because you're not harming them by sharing You're modeling. Every human is going to have a hard experience, a hard day, a hard moment, a hard relationship, a hard, whatever. And every person needs to find a way to say, I get how that shapes who I am today and how I come across. And I'm, I see you in this picture. Like I know it affects you and this is what I'm willing to do to make sure that I attend to that. And that gives Mm -hmm. our kids permission to say, yeah, that's hard for me. And I need a way to take care of those emotions. Right. I need a avenue to let that spill Um, and I'm not going to be judged for it or told you're not behaving well or Mm -hmm. support each other through it right totally well that's the piece right because I think more than any other thing what we gift our kids with is language Mm -hmm. right so when we are using that language we're gifting them the ability to use that language themselves yeah right and so when we when we act like we're fine, what we're modeling is that when they feel a feeling, they should pretend they're fine too. 
Yes. That's probably not better. That's probably not actually what we want them to do with us or in life. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't wish that on them. Yeah. But if we wish differently for them, we have to do differently for them. We have to do differently ourselves to show them how to do. And that comes to us to be able to give language to, I'm not having a great day. Um, I mean, it, it can be, it can be very age appropriate and like, we don't have to be highly descriptive of why I'm not okay in the content of my day, like you mentioned, but Mm -hmm. still owning that it's been a day. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, the language is one thing, but also I think about like how it's received. So when language is, when somebody in the family system and your family zone says, Mm -hmm. this is what's going on for me and it's heavier, emotional or big or whatever, Mm -hmm. scary. How do the people around respond to us expressing that? So it's one thing to have a language, but you will, I could have a lot of words and not use them ever. Because if if it's not safe to say it, because I'm going to get in trouble for feeling a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so when we, and you're right, like kids, 90% of their learning is through modeling. It's not Mm -hmm. the lecture that you told them or the live this way, but I'm going to do something different. It's what they see. Mm -hmm. And then what happens after you demonstrate that? Yeah. Did you turn out okay? Like mm-hmm. when you did those things, did that help everybody feel better or did that make things worse? Right. And mm-hmm. so uh, for us to say, I'm going to show it is po- way more potent for a kid's yeah. learning. And it's also good for us. Like we gain something from it. This is not just to serve our kids well. This mm-hmm. is, this is good, healthy practice for us. I was thinking the other day too, about like the transition into one space to another. And when those in particular, I think there needs to be kind of a, a regular practice of transitioning that you don't consider this type of work, something that you can leap tracks from that there needs to be, um, I don't know what, even what the word is, but like it, there needs to be something slower, more permeable or gradual about it. Yeah. And, and every person might find a different way that's effective for them. But I think a way is important that we don't just assume, oh, I'm fine. The day wasn't that hard. So I'm just going to leap into the, I think it's an important ritual to yes. do, whether it's your commute home and what you do with it, make it quality don't just like zone out, but do something with it that help, helps you either digest what happened at the workplace um, or discharge some kind of emotional energy that you have or physical energy. Maybe you have a practice where you park further from the hospital you work at and you like sprint to the car after work every day just to get out the, like I get a discharge that chemical stuff, right? And then those, whatever works for you, that practice from the day-to-day helps you not accumulate mm-hmm. the junk that you don't know mm-hmm. how to offload yeah. and you don't want leaking into your family. Um, yeah. And then for the extra hard-hitting days, it's like, what do I do for that? Do I need time expansion? Do I need that ritual to take place longer? So I text my partner mm-hmm. and just give a code word of like, need an extra 30 or like yeah. what's your system of communicating to honor like I am doing this for everybody I'm gonna go take care yeah. of myself so that yeah. 
I come home better, more available, more connected, more present. Right. I've been able to switch the hats more effectively. Yeah. You know? Well, and we actually had a conversation about that piece with Heather Toes hmm. um, a while back. It's been a while. I'll post the link to that one in the show notes with this um, as a bit of a reference for those who maybe missed that one. But we talked a lot about the ritual of coming home and that decompressing kind of time. Um, and actually, one of the pieces of feedback that came from that is what about when you're single parenting yep. and you don't have that person that you can tag team and say, hey, I need you to take it for 30 more. And one of the things that we talked a little bit about was giving different permission to even things like, I don't maybe normally let my kids watch an extra half hour of TV, but on those days I mm. might so that I can know that they're somewhere safe and know yeah. that it's probably better that they're doing that than mm. me coming home and pretending like I'm okay and interacting Yep, because I actually need that half hour to be a better version of me that yep. can be like capable of being present here. So while yes, like quantity wise, they're getting less quantity of time with me as a caregiver. They are getting a better quality of me. If I take that half hour and let them watch the stupid yes. show, than yeah. if I did the inverse of that and that we have to give ourselves some grace and permission to choose to bring a better quality of us as opposed mm -hmm. to a quantity. Mm -hmm. It's, it is actually just, it's a different parenting philosophy. It's philosophically yeah. a different headspace to be in. Yeah. Because what I don't, I think it's a kind of almost a low bar when we ask parents to like, I know you feel guilty about that, but like, just take care of yourself. It still feels selfish. Yeah. I don't think it erases the guilt. I think the way we think about it means mm -hmm. guilt isn't necessary. Yes. We have to change how we think about it. We've become a culture of very prescriptive parenting styles. There's the hot topic book that hits the shelf. And now everybody's parenting that way, which is why we come up with these cute labels of helicopter parents and whatever, right? Like, there's <laughs> it's a fun to hear a family therapist mock the things. It's great. I like it. It's brutal. It's so it unfair. No, it's kid not is, human. no, it's not. No kid is the same. Whoa. No parent is the same. No environment is the same. No history yeah. is the same. It's not the same. No resources are the same. What a joke to think we can all step into a template. It doesn't really work. And that's where all this effed up guilt comes from, right? Then mm -hmm. we're, then we're locking ourselves into an expectation and we operate from the belief that we are now harming our kids if we don't do it a certain way. Yeah. When really, if we shift that, it gives us permission to see the good in what we are offering our kids. Like, yeah. and quality versus quantity is one of those kind of pivotal, if we can wrap our heads around qualities better than quantity, that mm -hmm. goes a long way. Yeah. And when we talk about rituals, I also think like, Parents have this expectation of when I do spend time with my kids, it has to be like quality would mean quantity. Like it won't be quality unless it's two hours and something really special. Mm. And our kids remember the rhythms of normalcy. Mm -hmm. That feels reliable to them. That feels safe to them. That feels like there's room to drop your shoulders and connect. And so you don't need it to be long. You just need it to be consistent. So what yeah. would a ritual look like for connecting after you've done your ritual of self-care? Totally. I can't wait to like you, that can be the delivery when you come in the room I mean, plug in my computer before it does. Um, 
that can be the ritual that you bring into the room when you say, I'm so happy to see you. And it's almost scripty. It's fine if it's scripty. Mm. Like they will learn to cherish. I love it when my mom comes home and says, I can't wait to see you. I'm going to go do my self-care and I'll be back in 20 minutes, set a timer. Right. And then it's like this anticipation of, it's not like you've robbed them of that 20 minutes. It's that, Ooh, I can't wait. And then, you know, what's coming. It's this, I can count on you and I can count on our ritual of connection. And I know that after, you know, mom's changed her clothes and washed her face and had a meal, Mm -hmm. I get to have 40 minutes of undivided attention playing the game that I've been waiting all day to play with, right? And that that happens at the end of every four days, mm-hmm. right? Or the end of every day or whatever the, the right. thing is that's realistic for you. But that that puts way more currency in their bank account, their emotional bank account, than it does to kind of like randomly throw things around. And whether they're big or small or long or short, it's the rhythms that matter, but you got to make them your own when you do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. And they have to kind of like feel more intentional. You have to be intentional. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Well, that's the piece, right? Mm-hmm. And like I think one of the one of the pieces we talk about on the podcast a lot is this idea of the emotional bank account not for kids for us. Mm-hmm. And this idea that like it's all math, right? So like what I have to give and offer generously of myself is based on what I invest in to that bank account. Mm -hmm. If I am in overdraft and debt from giving generously because I'm not doing anything to refill that, it's going to be a problem. And then the challenge to that is when we have demands placed on us, it feels resentful and we feel snippy and we're not our best self. So yeah, I'm giving generously, but I'm not actually, yep. right? It's like some of me like, yeah, I guess I'll give you, right? That's like right. Yeah. that doesn't Withheld. feel good to receive. And no. so while yes, you're doing it on paper, mm-hmm. it doesn't count the same way in how it feels to receive for the other person. It doesn't count yeah. the same way as how it feels to give, Yeah. right? We can give more authentically generously when we actually have something in the bank account. Yeah. 
if we don't have anything there, it's really hard to give and not feel like about it. Right. And so I think that's how we've talked about kind of trying to re-strategize this piece about mindset and how we talk about self-care to try to make it like it's, it isn't selfish. It's actually the most selfless thing you can do because it is how you fill the bank account to do any of the things. Mm -hmm. Right. So by earning it, by investing it, you have more to give and do and to do it with a better quality of you. And I also think we have these boxes where self-care means we're not around anybody. I mean, sometimes, sometimes that, like, sometimes that is my self-care. I I actually need no stimulation. So you can't be in my room with me. But like self-care is not only an isolation. It's not always a solo activity. And again, going back to this opportunity, you can kill a couple birds with this stone because you can model self-care by doing it with, you build in a rhythm of self-care. But so I had, there's actually somebody who, um, uh, I I haven't seen her in a long time, but uh, worked in several hospital settings and Mm -hmm. had really high needs kids, lots of energy in the home and would come home and say, well, I I just need another hour and I can't get that out. I'm like, okay, what would it look like? Can let's fantasize about a version of this where you get your hour and you're with them at the same time. What would that look like? What would it look like to still feel rejuvenated, but have them in the room? And we just kind of named, what is it that helps rest come to you? Like, is it the lack of stimulation? Is it the environment that you're in? Is it your own internal like, are you spinning internally? Do you need to write? Do you need to sit down and get that out of your head? What What would help you? And the practices were all things that you could do beside your kids and they could do it with you. Totally. And so they created cozy corners in one room. They had one room where they set up a beanbag in every corner of the house, three kids and for her. And they all went to their spaces. So nobody was touching and it was quiet And they set up a clock that had the whatever timer on it. And they had their little kit. And their kit had a journal in it, some Play-Doh to squeeze, whatever. And they all just did that. Mom's home. We go to our corners. We do our thing. We see each other. We're in the same space. We have soft music playing. And then we roll into a meal. And then, like, normal life continues. Like, Totally. I think we get tripped up in, like, I need time away. And it's fine, but it's not realistic to only have your self-care operate in that zone. Totally. Well, and I think some of the like, some of the self-care pieces can be things that we just don't even necessarily name that way, right? Like exactly. some of it is like family movie night. Like yes. I needed the decompressed time. Yep. I needed the cuddles and I needed the popcorn, frankly, yep. right? Like, and we all can share in that and I, I don't have to navigate anyone arguing for a beat and I don't have to right I don't have to like actively parent in this moment but we all get to feel like we're participating and sharing space in something and that can feel refreshing for everyone involved right I know one of my favorite um self-caring activities to do with my five-year-old almost six um is yoga and she actually has been doing this thing where she wants to do yoga gymnastics because she got a balance beam for Christmas And uh, so she lays out the balance beam and we lay out the yoga mats and we do like 10 minutes of an actual yoga video 
most of which she doesn't actually do, but yeah, finds it matter. hilarious. Yeah. And I giggle so hard. Which is um, I get my little stretch out of it. And then afterwards, she teaches me how to do it for real because obviously none of <laughs> She's got the better way. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so we just like goof off together for another like three minutes yeah. and then we're done. Yeah. Right? So like less than 15 minutes and she feels awesome about yeah. it. She talks about it for the rest of the week. Mom yeah. and I, when we did yoga mm-hmm. gymnastics, mom and I, when we, right? Like mom doesn't know how to balance like this. And then she holds this contorted thing that I'm like, nope. And I never will. <laughs> like, and it's uh, right. Like yeah. there are these moments that are like, it's not hard. It's not complicated. There's nothing. I was going to do yoga anyways. It's right. great. Right. right. There was nothing that was depleted from that. Getting creative about this stuff. Yeah. erases some of those rigid boundaries we've created around these concepts of what I need and what I can get and what's realistic and what's not. And, yeah. and sometimes that has to happen in synergy with another person. We get locked mm. into our ways or what was taught to us or how our families ran when we were kids or what we see the neighbors doing, or we have limited perspectives, having mm. conversations with other people about how do you manage this? Like, Totally. Well, and even like the constructs around self-care, like I think culturally we've been really done a disservice about that where it's like candlelight and bathtubs and, you know, like it's, it's these things that are very isolated. Whereas like when I think about what actually like refreshes and recharges me, having like a hysterical laugh Mm -hmm. is one of those things. I cannot get that in isolation. I have yet to find a comedian who was really that good that they bring that out of me when I'm sitting in a room by myself. Right. So like, do you know when it happens? It happens when my family attempts Pictionary. Hysterical. Mm -hmm. Absolutely hysterical. Right. And so there's these moments that I'm like, that's actually the better self-caring. Like if, if I wanted to choose an investment that's going to pay higher dividends, me watching a comedian versus me playing Pictionary with my family yeah. This one's going to yeah. pay me higher dividends on my investment every time. And it's paying everyone else too. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, I think what we think of is if I'm caring for myself, I'm in the absence of caring for someone else. So it feels, that's right. why we call it selfish. It's yes. not, it is not because that's not what it is. And it doesn't have to yeah. be set up that way, that it comes always at a cost totally. to somebody that else. But it pits us against each other somehow. Yes, it does. And that's where resentment yeah. grows. That's why it's like, ugh, because you need this from me. Right? Totally. I mean, yeah. As counselors are not normal parents. So like we've talked about that before, right? So I've had totally. a conversation with one of my kids who could bounce off walls all day. And I can't handle that, a level of energy being around it all the time. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've had very deliberate conversations where I've said things that nobody else would probably say to their children. But I would say things like, right now, I'm feeling like I'm obligated to be with you. <laughs> like, yes. Right now, she's not offended because we've made this about me, not about her. I'm like, you are doing everything fine for you. And that works. And also, here is my experience beside you. And here are my needs. And it's great that we know that we have different needs. Mm -hmm. And these are the ways in which we can be next to each other or interacting in a way that serves us both. And we involve our kids. The older they get, the more creative they get to be in problem solving. Do you have any suggestions about what would meet those criteria? Like, Mm -hmm. 
Because some people are like, I dread coming home and all my kid wants to do is play whatever. For mm-hmm. me, it was like anything to do with role play. Yeah. So if that's not your gig, don't offer that. <laughs> like, It doesn't mean that you're not offering something, but collaborate with your kid and go, yeah, that's not totally like my top of my list. You make a list. I'll make a list. Let's see where we have something in common. Yeah. And if those are the harder days where you just don't have that extra, sure, I can role play and enter that zone with you for 20 minutes. I just don't have it, but I don't want to give up on it all. Mm. That's when you consult the overlapping list. Yeah. Right. Here's something we have in common that feeds us both. Let's mm-hmm. go spend some good time doing that. I don't get resentful about spending my time doing that. Totally. Right. And so, and it teaches, again, we're modeling for our kids. Like, how do we, that's teamwork, essentially. How am I going to work with my classmates on figuring out what our priorities for a group project are? How am I going to communicate that effectively? How am I going to own my own experience of that? How am I going to, it doesn't have to feel personal. Yeah. And me investing in that, I think, gives her the sense she matters to me that I'm willing to go through that exercise with her. It doesn't, right? It's not blamey. It's just like acknowledging what's real for us both. And how do we be there for each other? Well, that's the piece, right? We did a, we were actually having a conversation that was really similar this last week. My six-year-old has been struggling with letting me leave at bedtime again, which we go through phases around. Um, And it's hard because when we're not in a phase where that's a problem, Evening is a time where I experience more freedom. So after a really long time of having long days and then needs of kids at night and, you know, being up through the night um, to get to a phase where I got to say, okay, good night, everybody, and turn off lights and then go get a workout in and make school lunches and maybe watch half an hour of a show and shower and go to bed felt like this really lovely reclaiming of my sanity. Um, and so when she struggles more with sleep and needs me there longer, it, it either delays or nullifies some of those pieces. And then I experience frustration because I'm losing some of these things that feel important to me that keep me sane. Um, and so, you know, if it's a day or two, because we had a nightmare, it's one thing when it's going on and on, it's a different thing. And so we had this conversation where it had been going on and on. And I said to her, you know, I, I love so much that you want me here with you. That feels very special that, you know, mommy is this safe person that makes you want to have me close by. That's cool. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. this is right. Like part of how mommy can be like nice mommy is by having these things that happen during this time of the day. So how are we going to balance this where you have this need you have met But also mommy gets these needs met because it's how mommy continues to do the things tomorrow for you that you really like, right? And that we don't end up with a version of mommy that yells that she's really frustrated and mad all the time because I'm spent and it's, right? Like it's not okay anymore. And so we did a brainstorming session. She's like, I don't really know. I was like, do you have suggestions about that? I don't really know. I said, well, here are some of the ideas I have. I threw out some different ideas. What if we tried this? What if we tried this? What if we tried that? And I said, it doesn't have to be any of those, but probably we need to come up with something because I feel like if we continue like this, yeah, it's going to be a lot more yelling. And that's not really the kind of mommy I want to be. And I don't think that's the kind of experience you really want to have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like super age appropriate, very yep. much like 
lots of discussion and modeling, but she's like five going on six, right? Like it, it, we're not having to wait until they're like 12 to have solid kinds of conversations with our kids about these kinds of pieces and how we're doing and how they're doing and how those intersect. Yeah. 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 It removes the shame and blame out of it. Nobody's needs are less than, but they're also having to navigate how do we coordinate our needs, right? Yes. And that's a fair, that's, it's, it's not just okay to have it. It's a gift to give that type of conversation to your kid. Mm-hmm. Clarifies it. It puts it on the table. It, and it doesn't come from a place of, I'm pissed at you for having this need. I am like, yeah. I'm just acknowledging that you have it. And it feels a little incompatible yeah. <laughs> with what I, I need, need right now. Out. So how do we figure this out? Yeah. Well, and it's it's like this modeling about every other relationship. Because the reality is, is aside from a parent, no other relationship no, is going to bend over backwards 100%. this much for you. Exactly. Right? So how can we create a safe space to have some of that, like, training ground with our kids so that they are more equipped to handle relationships that aren't willing to cater to them quite so much. For sure. Yeah. Okay. There was one piece that we started out talking about that we kind of left. Okay. And I want to diverge back real quick before we wrap up. Um, And it's the piece about time. Okay. So when we opened talking about some of the different challenges that are unique to first responders and frontline workers, you identified this piece about shift work and time being differently challenging for them compared to typical parent populations. And I'm curious in terms of some of those, like we've been talking about some of the like ways of managing other parts of parenting in terms of ways of managing that um, kind of shift work often on in the role out of the role, kid adjustments and parent adjustments to that weird pattern and dynamic it creates. Are there thoughts you have about what helps people to be more effective in that? Mm -hmm. So I do think the rituals that we talked about do help with that. Because if we know something we can count on is coming, we're less urgent about clawing for that connection in the transition time. I can hold it longer when I can count on what's coming. If I don't for sure know that thing is coming, I feel insecure about trying to find a way to reconnect, right? Totally. And so because the chunks of time tend to be big, whether it's in a span of a day because they're 12 hours long plus, or if it's because it's four days in a chunk of having a certain way of being and then not, um, I I think when we stop, I don't know. I think if we stop expecting it to feel differently, we give ourselves and our kids more permission to have feelings about it. Mm. Like it's okay that our kids have a harder time. Yeah. What they will need to do is in that space of transitioning, have the opportunity to feel that all out in order to practice a way of being it. Cause it isn't temporary. It's not like you have this job for eight months. You have this job for a long time. Yeah. And so your kid's unique adaptation is going to come with the lived experience of going through all the motions they need to go through to regulate. Hmm. And so do you. Yeah. So being able to say, it makes sense that. Mm-hmm. I believe you when. I get why. 
When we say those things, we're just reflecting and not trying to control our kids' experience, and we're not trying to control or mask our own. We can just say, oh, yeah, that was an extra hard one. Okay, I see what's happening here. And you know what? It makes a ton of sense because you haven't seen me in three days. Like, I get that. Like, that's fair. You know, when we say that, it gives space for our kids to actually, like, trust them Hmm. to do a process. They are wired to actually, for the most part, do it. We just have this expectation that we get to rush them through it or that we get to fix it or prevent it or... And so while we can build in these rituals and these rhythms differently that fit our unique schedules, um, we can't do that expecting that it solves an emotional transition because mm-hmm. we are humans that live off a bit of a different clock. And especially if our kids are exposed to that other clock elsewhere, school mm-hmm. rhythms do not follow your rhythms. Yeah, They are kind of split all the time in trying to navigate both things. So And again, that requires us to be extra understanding and patient, which means, again, that transition for you home in preparation for being able to validate, remind yourself, right, what's the most two most important things I can offer my kid when I come home is I'm coming for you in 20 minutes. And yeah, you look like you're having a hard time. And that absolutely makes sense. And it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right, And those reassuring you are not broken for feeling this mm-hmm. and I am not broken for needing a transition yeah. and some self-care and whatever else becomes the repeated experience that kids get to go, right, this isn't so scary. This isn't mm-hmm. so hard. This isn't so overwhelming. I can adapt yeah. and so can you. Totally. Um, we're not fighting it or resisting it all the time. So there's mm-hmm. like... Again, the mental acceptance, and then what does that mean for how we approach it? Totally. Differently. That's a good one. There's a piece I've been mulling. Um, when So when I was a kid, um, my parents are not first responders, but my dad worked away from home quite a lot. Um, and so he'd be away Sunday to Thursday, and then he'd come home on the weekends. And... Um, there was a lot that was really challenging about that. Hmm. Um, for sure. It was kind of like being single parented half yep. of the time. Um, and yet not all at the same time. But one of the things he did that I thought was really interesting um, was he did this piece with me that we talked about as a bit of a touchstone. So hmm. we both shared a love for writing. He always wanted to be a novelist and never did. Um, and I always thought that I would do something that I wanted to be an author or something like that when I was a kid. And so I was probably like nine plus during this phase of life. And he and I did this thing where we got matching journals at the local stationery store and we would each have them for our weeks apart and we would write whatever we were working on. He would do his thing with it. I would do mine. And then he'd come home and before he left on Sunday night, we would swap. And so I would get to read his thing. He would get to read my thing and we would write in the margins and make notes. And I love this or that feels confusing. I don't understand what's happening there or whatever. And then he'd come home again Sunday night. We'd swap back and we'd get our feedback and then we'd continue on with what we were working on. Yeah. Um, and it was this really cool way of like having common interest and sharing something, even though we weren't together. Yep. And again, mm-hmm. like 
I'm old enough that this is like pre video messaging and pre like <laughs> yeah. long distance phone calls were really expensive. So we didn't actually talk to him a lot during the week. And, yeah. and so this was a way to stay connected during these chunks of times. Yeah. And so there's this piece about like, how do we create, if, if we're having these gaps, how do we create mm-hmm. some of those touchstones that carry with both for us and for our kids yeah. that in between time. So whether that's like a quick, emoji text that just says heart you um that we get to send back and forth or if it's something a bit more like in real life than that Mm -hmm. which i think is actually like a bit more meaningful these days right like can can we do the like classic we leave a note in their lunch kit or like Mm -hmm. under their pillow or like something that just feels like this routine way of saying hey i thought of you hey you matter and vice versa feel our sense of mattering to the family system as well Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. Developmentally, we enter that stage actually quite young where, you know, it's that object permanence. I, you know, baby crawls around the corner, they panic because they think, well, I can't see you, therefore you don't exist anymore, even though you're still two feet away from me. But that goes away really early. So we could already start at toddler. I remember um, first day of kindergarten, there's a ritual in my kids' school where the kindergarten teacher hands out the kissing hand. It's a yes. book. It looks really old school, but it's classic, and my kids have kept it because it meant so much in how effective it was for them to transition into a space where they had to be away from their primary caregiver for the first time for a big mm-hmm. chunk of time. So you could do this in daycares. You could do this. But the idea was just that mom raccoon and baby raccoon we're going to be separated for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And that the way for us to carry that it wasn't going to be as scary as we had in our head was really, I'm going to put a kiss, an invisible kiss in your hand, in the palm of your hand. And at any point during the day where you wish you could see me or hold me or touch me, you just touch your own hand, touch the kiss on your hand. Yeah. And there is something that our kids are very capable of doing in small ways that that's yours kissing hand was your journal it was matching like how you mentioned that because it matters it's not that they were so separate there was something in common and there's something like imagine the endless possibilities of how you can manifest that know your kit if they're artists send a little sketch back and forth if they're like it's entering their world world and staying there even when you're physically not present and your kids feel that it is not less than in fact it might feel more special because they're hungry for something and you're offering you're meeting that need so yeah and interestingly i think they do it back right like how many times have my kids sent pictures i have one sitting right here i'm looking at it um with me to work and ask me to hang it in my office it's because they think i forget about them yes right and so they want me to carry this thing with them my daughter often sends me with jewelry that belongs to her so i wear really awful jewelry to the office very regularly um that is like fluorescent pink because that's it and And it's her way of being like, mom, I want you to wear this today because it's special and it'll make you think of me. Yeah. Great. You betcha. You got it. Um, I've had stuffies sent with me to work because they're worried that I feel lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do this thing where I will bring the stuffy and then I'll set the stuffy up in funny positions in my office and coming with me to get my lunch. We'll take a selfie together. (laughs) And I'll send them and be like, hey, I'm going to see you in an hour. But 
heads up, this is the adventures we got on into today, yeah, right? And so like, I think that it's not just us for them. I think they also want to do it for us. And we yeah. can invite that space yeah. to just be like silly and fun together yeah. without being like, oh God, no, I'm not wearing that bracelet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I might not sometimes wear it all day. Put it in the pocket if you really need to. But right? like, put it goes wear- back on in the car. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So before we wrap up today, Karen, I want to have a bit of an opportunity just for people to know where and how they can connect with some of the work that you're doing with parents. So um, I've mentioned your podcast and we'll for sure link to that. I also know that you've got a lot of free resources and other pieces that you've got in place and we will link to a lot of those. Are there any of those pieces that you'd like to speak to? I, you know, it's all kind of organized into one kind of hub. So living room learning is kind of the overarching umbrella. If you mm-hmm. go to that space, you're going to find both resources to pay for that are more like involved and an investment in terms of like a course you might want to take. I've right. tried really hard to make every resource very family friendly. So it, for the courses in particular, they're they're meant to meet you exactly where you're at. So either at a parent level, but also at a family level. So if if people are wanting to like have a bit of a guide to like increasing communication with their kids around feelings, um, mm-hmm. being able to kind of access and lower anxiety felt in the family. The, the resources are there and they are designed to be able to do with your kids. So yeah. there's a variety of options there. Um, nothing in particular that I would say like needs to be thrown out there, but I, more the way in which they've been created are supposed to be really easily digestible and practical and met to, to, yeah, it's where the rubber hits the road. That's the, yeah. that's the, guiding post behind some of those materials. So if that's the type of thing that speaks to you or fits your life right now, um, mm-hmm. then you might find something there that's helpful right now. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Thank okay. you so much for taking yeah. the time Thank and joining you. me today. That was Great really conversation. fun. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again to Karen for taking time to join me today. Don't forget to check the links in the show notes if you want to learn more about Karen's work. And also a big thanks to you amazing listeners for continuing to spend this time with me here. If you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support frontline wellness, there are three ways that we can encourage you to do just that. Number one, rate and review behind the line on Apple podcast or wherever that you're listening. Number two, follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me and this amazing little community that we're building in that little corner of the internet universe. Every time that you like, comment, and share our posts, you help us spread like wildfire, thanks to the magic of the algorithm. And number three, share this resource and our other resources with those you know, whether that's forwarding our weekly newsletters on to your friends and coworkers, listening to the podcast as part of a team meeting, or sending out our burnout indicators checklist and triage guide as a staff-wide tool. Every little bit helps us to take our mission to the next level and serve those who are sacrificing so much to serve our communities out on the front lines. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube, 
We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.